If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. We don't talk bad. No, I don't think no. we talk bad about people, but we I was saying things I was that there everybody thinking, should like, do know. Do I say things about my kids? Like eventually my kids may like listen to this when they're older and I'm like, do I say <laughs> dicky things about my children? I don't think yes, I do. Yes, sometimes yes. Do I say dicky things sometimes about Sometimes I children? do. No. I love my children. I love my children yes. very much. Yes, the same here. I was like, did I just slip up and like let some like something that's been gnawing at me slip out? <laughs> well, it's because this is a safe space. It's those it things that you, and yeah, it's like. But then know. we also know that it like goes out to the internet and the I know, world. it's the world. <laughs> So Get out like, of my safe space. Maybe maybe I shouldn't have said that. We were just we were just starting our show and then like steroid crazy Courtney <laughs> would like start another what? story and then we're like, wait, hold on. And then we would start again and steroid crazy Courtney would be like, wait, 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 I gotta tell you this. <laughs> I need I need to uh clarify that these are prednisone um, because of a sinus infection and not just roids. I'm not just she's, taking I'm not bodybuilding She's people. bulking up. <laughs> That's all right. I will bulk up on these. <laughs> yes, we had to stop several times because we were not gossiping, but no, we, were we were talking. Updating. We were updating, updating on, on what we know. The and, week's events. And making connections. It was a prayer meeting. We didn't say hello, Patrice, and hello, Marleya. Hi, Marleya. Hey, Patrice. Hi, Courtney. Hi. <clears throat> and we were talking about bear on campus. Yes, there was a bear on Big the campus of Jacksonville State bear. University. And yes. it looked like he just was wandering right on by by the highway. Yep. Like, And I have a story about that, too. Are you kidding? No, and you, and I'll make Does it, it really short. people's names in it? No, we don't know this person. <laughs> this is a person I do not know. So Patrice texted us this picture yes. yesterday. So Marlene might tell you she went camping to yes, Soto. And I, I went to Cape Spring, Georgia to kayak with my cousin and some friends. And um, Patrice texts this picture to us. So I see it. Marlene has no service. She didn't get to see the picture at first. But I see the picture all, after we're leaving kayaking. Stop in K-Spring at their new little coffee spot. Get a coffee with our friend Chad, box fan Chad, and I stop and get a coffee. The lady at the window says, where are y'all from? We're like, we're from Jacksonville. She goes, did you see the bear on campus? Right? And I was like, I just got this text like I know. three minutes ago. K-Spring is only like an hour away. And her, she was like, both of my children went to JSU. So she does have a connection. But before but I could still. even like respond to Patrice, the lady at the coffee shop in K-Spring is telling me about the bear on JSU campus. And Freddie, Freddie and Reiner already knew. By the time, well, you know, I couldn't mm -hmm. download the picture right away. I could read the text. Freddie and Reiner already knew by the time I brought it up to them. I was like, how the, man. Wow. Bear <laughs> news flies around I only knew here. about it from Patrice. <clears throat> yeah. And it just happened that morning. And yeah. Like, and I mean, it was even, yeah. Somebody's Facebook post or something. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, look, there's a bear. I mean, in the middle of the parking lot, like not even, not near the woods, not just out woods. in, I'm sure it's near the dumpsters. There's the dumpsters behind the. I don't live mm -hmm. on this end of town, so I'm not worried. 
<laughs> no, you look about to coyotes it, and the Oh, I got all kinds of shit at my house. It's yeah. okay. <clears throat> well, well, let's let's we've got um let's talk about this drink. Let's talk about this drink. <laughs> well, How, I can put like mine's about half empty. Well, y'all are gonna have to make this last because this is all we have. Uh, we'll just this drink is, straight triple sec after this. This is um <laughs> I just Ooh. created this today after going to the Wills Creek Winery. So if you're in the Gadsden area, check out the Wills Creek Winery. I always say it wrong. I go Wills Creek Winery. <laughs> Wills <laughs> Creek Winery. <laughs> it's um, it's an Italia. If you've ever heard of Tigers for Tomorrow, or this is in Alabama. Float, yeah, right. floated on the Big Wills Creek, Gadsden, Alabama area, Italia. Um, they are now serving brunch. So I went with my mom, sister, and nephew and friend to have brunch and everybody was so nice the servers were sweet the it was a beautiful view the food was really really good they have just a limited menu but they'll make specialty drinks and today was a watermelon sangria made from their watermelon wine and I'm not a sweet wine drinker but I really liked this so I came home and made it and went to Walmart I cheated and got the already chopped up watermelon and then pureed it and strained it Mm -hmm. so it's the watermelon wine with uh, two cups of puree with some Unlike, they can't do this because they don't have a liquor license, but it also has a cup of vodka and a half a cup of triple sec in it, too. Sorry, Patrice and I, we've just been, like, sitting in there shooting and a whole the bottle shit, of wine. like, drinking while we sit, so right. it's going to be a lit show it today, is, probably. Yes. Well, we filled them mason jars, like, um, pint mason jars, so we have 16 ounces each. Um, we'll have to. And we'll, it's uh, pretty much just wine and liquor so with some I, watermelon juice. If you like watermelon, if you like watermelon Jolly Ranchers in yes. particularly, mm-hmm. Particularly, particularly, yes. Then you will love this drink, and it has kind of this hint of cucumber, but it's not cucumber. It's the watermelon. I did put some lime, fresh squeezed lime juice in it to make Mm. it a little Mm. bit too. It is good. It's 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 like just packed full of all these like really lovely flavors. So it's good. It's I highly recommend. You know, they also make because I've taken my parents there before. I've gone to wine tastings at Will's Creek before, and they are they're super friendly, and they also do like they'll teach you how to make like liquor or not liquor they'll teach you how to make wine <laughs> they have like the stuff in their shop where you can right. like learn how to and they have like oh, classes cool. and stuff but um they uh they do a jalapeno wine oh there yeah i remember really you talking liked. about that yeah wow. and i didn't expect to like it all but i really yeah. did like it so that was interesting good. will's creek winery speaking of booze i went by the uh Peach Man on the Square. Ooh. Oh, Chilton and, County Peaches. And, peach Sangria. And I've got the peaches, and I'm going to do the peach brandy. <gasps> yes! Oh, Patrice. I'm, I'm in the big crock. In the big crock. Oh, there Grandma's peach I want brandy. to watch you or help you. What are you doing it? Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. I got to, like, cut all the peaches up first. <laughs> Over the course of, like, six weeks, probably. Because <laughs> it takes peaches. a while, doesn't it? Like, yeah. don't you have oh, to it takes it in the crock forever? Yeah. It, it takes, like, but, yeah, setting it up, it's, like, peach. I forget the recipe. I'm going to have to look it back up. But it's peaches. So you're putting yeast. it in, like, a big fermenting thing. Yeah. Okay. Big fermenting pot. Peaches, like, yeast and sugar, I think, and water. And then you just set it and forget it for like, you know, you stir it like every day or every other day or every week or something like that. And um, you just let it do its thing. And 
it's scary because I did this last time. I was going to say two years ago you tried this. Yeah, after after peach season, of course, because I missed the peach man. Because mm-hmm. I'm always I'm always day late, dollar short on everything. Well, because- and who has cash? That's the problem. Is like you're driving through town and you see the peach man's there, and it's like, well, damn, I don't have cash because right. I never have cash. Right. Same, but you know, at the stars aligned, and I got like the big basket, like the <laughs> ten pound basket of peaches. Oh my god! And um, they are ripe because I had one and it just like dripped oh, all down. I want some now. Oh, I'll go, I I'll love go, peaches so much. I'll go grab a couple um, afterwards. But, I'm going to um, have to go there if he's there this week. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But yeah, so last time I did it, it was like peaches that weren't from the peach man that was past season and I've never done it before and I'm always a little bit freaked out by fermenting Yeah, because I'm like, am I fisting to kill everybody that drinks this? You know, what's, what Probiotics. am I looking for? It's the stew fat is good for you. I know, I know, but there is still a part of me of this oh, has I'm been totally out for, you know, a month. Should I really try it or am I fisting to kill myself? <laughs> and uh and my fears kind of won out the last time, even though like it smelled like alcohol. Like it worked, right? We need to find someone to test that's what, it on. That's what I, <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I thought you were gonna say. I was like, we need to find someone who knows what they're doing and could like reassure me that I'm doing it right. We'll be like try Patrice. I wish my grandmother was still alive because she's totally the one. I mean, she'd be able to tell you. She would tell me, you know, what's going on, and she, she, and you know, y'all, this is this is age makes you a little bit smarter, or Mm -hmm. at least lets you know how stupid ass you are when you were younger. But I, that's one of those things that, you know, after your grandparents go, um, you know, when they would do certain things that they would always do and you'd always like, like, yeah, 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 I got to go kind of thing. That's like one of those things I really wished I would have like just said, you shut up. You don't have anything that important to do. You know, let her teach you what she's been trying to teach you. But <sighs> youth wasted on the youth, right? That's right. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but I would know how to do peach brandy if, you know, I would have paid attention. I could have paid attention and then forgot everything. That's, oh, that's, that's true. That that's have. true. That that would be the, the truth as well. Mm. Oh, man. But, yeah, I am. So, oh, and one thing I want to do, cool. like, if it works, which it should work, uh, I'm going to get one of those little, like, uh, moonshine little jugs yes! and put it in. You know, <laughs> we can get those. I know where we can get those. Oh, the brown excellent. ones? Yes, they have them at uh, Old South Antiques. And mm-hmm. I've seen those. Exactly where I thought you were going to say. Mm-hmm. All right. God so. knows what was in them before, but <laughs> oh, we'll use some sort of a brush that reaches in there. <laughs> some sort of a brush. <laughs> we'll just purify it with the brandy. <clears throat> oh, my Lord. We could purify it with this watermelon. Watermelon vodka. This is really good. It's yes. better than I thought it would be. It's good. I like it. Oh, one more thing before we start. I don't know if you have anything to I may have at some point, but it's just gone okay. if it was in there. I'm sorry. Oh, no, okay. no, no, no. It's not because you were talking. It's because I'm, <laughs> I'm me. <laughs> and we've had half a small half pint. A mason jar. <laughs> we've had half a pint. Um, so I got an email from my lovely Coast to Coast um, newsletter Ooh. people. And for the after talk, we oh, are good. going to revisit 
uh, episode 71 talking about River Mama in Jamaica. <gasps> cool. Because apparently she has struck again. Oh, that's amazing. So if you are not a patron, you can go to our Patreon page. Patreon. That Patreon page. Um, it's linked on the website. Because I can't remember it right now. I can't either. I was actually but go, <laughs> go there three dollars a month, and what you do is you help support us. Uh, actually, you know, pay for having the audio done. We're also looking at buying new equipment, and it just helps us. It helps us pay for the hosting for this uh, the podcast. And the more podcasts we have, the more expensive the hosting becomes. Oh, so um, we should talk about that. Every little bit helps, and we totally appreciate it. And um, what we give to you is our undying love and attention whenever you ask us something. And we will also... Um, and a bonus episode. And we every give you a, show. Every show you get a bonus episode of us just talking about kind of like what we really feel about the stories we talk yes, about. Yes, because we're usually drunk by then. <laughs> we do let something hilarious. Yeah, we do, we do let something slip that probably shouldn't. Sometimes we read porn. Sometimes, Sometimes we read porn. You never know what you're going to get but it's um always entertaining and um, i'm thinking back to some of the first after talks <laughs> before pandemic and, and we would just we would just keep drinking yes. oh yeah some of them we couldn't remember the next time we tried to listen to them we right. were just like did what, we what probably, did i say i know. <laughs> probably yeah i probably should have like we've really all i think listened. we've all like i'm uh, not sure if that's enticing or not but just so you know oh my gosh mm. yeah oh my gosh Oh, good times. Good times. Good times. Join us for Join good us times. For good times. Become a patron. Thank you. I thought that we had an email from someone recently, but we may have talked about it in the last thing. I think we did. Okay. About the last thing. I think we did too, because okay. I couldn't find it also. Yeah. Or I possibly did. And also, bad. yeah, I think we've had some new patrons that I need to bring their names up next Ooh, we episode. can do that. Yeah. Yes. And yes. All the things. All, All the, the things. good things are coming our way. Woo-hoo. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now on to the on show. With the show. Oh, it's me. So um it is as we speak, June. I think we can get this out before the end of June, don't you? We mm-hmm. can get this out before oh, yeah. the end of June. Oh, yeah. So it's Pride Month. Woohoo! Woohoo! Yay. It's Pride Month. And I told Patrice, I was like, I think I'm gonna do a Pride story this week. And Patrice was like, please make it one where everybody doesn't die. <laughs> <laughs> Please make it a happy Pride Month. But you know, I was thinking about it. It's you know, we have um Black History Month, we have um mm-hmm. Women's Month, I forget what we call it. Um, we have Pride Month, and it seems like, you know, all of these things that we take one month out mm-hmm. of the year to focus and celebrate on, if people would just stop fucking killing these people and us, <laughs> then sure. maybe we wouldn't have to have these months. And it would just be a celebration of humanity all year long. I know. Yeah. That's you know, the way it should be. That's the way In it should be. In an ideal world, it would just be An a, ideal world. a celebration. Of I humanity. also told you, please don't tell the story like you did the last one. Oh, that was you. It was me. I, I don't was think Patrice. it was Patrice. Because no. No. Oh, yeah, that was one stuck with me. The red door. It would, no, the upstairs lounge. I mean, the upstairs, upstairs yeah, but lounge. That, that was lounge. horrific. Because yeah. of the pictures, I see, too. The fire. I and mean, you know I know what? I actually had to look is. back because I was going to reference that at the beginning of this because that was episode 10. I was I like, know, that was very early Did we on. lead with that? I was like, that was unwise. <laughs> you got it's real heavy, real fast. Oh, I <laughs> it. It's how I do 
things. It was, yeah, it's... (laughs) I, get I was real, like, damn, I get real heavy this real is fast. a fun show. Fun <laughs> <laughs> show about folklore and let's yes. talk about aliens and tutus and then dressing <laughs> up and partying yes. and not burning to death. Okay, well, nobody burns to death. Yay! In this All right, we're already going <laughs> in the right direction. And no it mass, is, it mass is. shootings. No, no, no mass okay. shootings. Thank Actually, God. I don't believe anyone dies. We well, told a Stonewall story the next year, which. Right. Yeah. Which one? Did I tell Stone. the story of Stonewall? Mm-hmm. What Stonewall? Like the actual original Stonewall? Mm-hmm. I talked about New York. No. No, I didn't. But you referenced it. Yeah. I'm referencing it again. Okay. okay. Hopefully I haven't done this in Maybe I'm confusing us with another before. podcast. Sorry about that. She's <laughs> thinking about my favorite murder. Yeah. She's like, you told that story. I'm like, I fucking didn't tell that story. <laughs> I've probably, I mean, you you know, you tell a pride story. Little you always reference Stonewall. Exactly. Right. So I'm going to reference Stonewall now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the reason, you know, we if you've listened before, apparently you already know this because we've talked about it. But maybe the, not. I know. <laughs> or maybe not. The uh, So, you know, Pride is Pride Month because it's celebrating the Stonewall Uprising in New York City. It was June 28th. It was 1969. And the short story is that police raided a gay club called the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village. And the patrons fought back. And... Um, and it was funny because I was talking to, we went camping this weekend with our friends, Freddie and Reiner. And I was talking to Freddie about this story a little bit that I was going to tell. And he, you know, we were talking about, everybody says that Stonewall is like the beginning of a movement. And he, he, I agree with him about this as he was like, it wasn't, it was just like the last straw. Mm-hmm. Right. He was like, the movement was already there. Right. Everybody was angry. It was just that final thing that like broke right and that you know and that happened to draw natural national attention right and and that's what kind of turned it into a movement was like and i was like well it's the same as with the murder of george floyd it's like it's not like black lives (laughs) matter like the idea of the movement for black lives started there already yeah it was already it didn't just start there it was like people have been angry for a long time. That's really why this stuff time. happens. Right. It's because it's been going on forever. So, um, you know, but it's just, there's this moment, there's this galvanizing thing that happens that gets the media and people who wouldn't necessarily have always paid attention before or supported it before to suddenly click and right. get on board, you know? Right. And so, um, you know, we were talking about that. So <clears throat> with Stonewall, the first pride March happened like the next year in 1970 in New York City, that was the first, and um, it, so it was on the first anniversary of that raid. And um, I think we sometimes in like the media makes the mistake of kind of like nationalizing that movement. Like you know, it it made a huge difference, and it did it did make national waves, and it changed a lot of stuff. But at the same time, like it didn't happen on the same timeline everywhere, right? Right. Like we know down here, sometimes the deep dark corners stay deep and dark. Right. And so. You know, there were individual events like Stonewall across the South that were smaller and didn't get that much attention. And the, you know, the upstairs lounge fire, unfortunately, in New Orleans, which we talked about in episode 10, was one of those. You know, that was what did it for New Orleans. But even then, it's not like the Pride Marches started the next year. It was like five, six years later before they had enough support to do a march, you know, where they felt like they could be celebrating or doing anything like that 
so you know it's like New Orleans was 1978. Nashville's first one was 1988. Mm-hmm. Louisville, Kentucky was 1987. The whole state of Alabama didn't have one until 1989, which I, I was like, shit. Right. <laughs> but um, so there was one Southern Catalyst event, though, <laughs> that I saw when I, I've, I've had it bookmarked forever. And the Smithsonian did an article about it. So I started looking it up. And because they called it the Stonewall of the South. So it came up that way. And it was an exception to this, like, the South does things more slowly because the change actually happened more quickly there. And that's the story of the Lonesome Cowboys raid in Atlanta. Ooh. So the sources for this one were um, Project Q, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the Smithsonian Magazine, Out History, and the Georgia Voice. So in Atlanta in 1969, you know, Atlanta was... It's like the big city of the South. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of um, a lot of queer folks, and I don't even know if I should say queer folks at this because that was like a total epithet in that time frame, but um, it's the one I like to use anyway. But So LGBTQ folks were there because they were leaving these little tiny towns and trying to go someplace where find they might community. be able to find a community. They exactly. Them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and even, you know, it was 1969, even in Atlanta, that wasn't always to be Right. You know, it's not like you had a, a community that was going to be unharassed. Right. <laughs> but uh, but there was a community. So like Midtown, um, of course, Cheshire Bridge, lots of in, in this the late 60s, early 70s, like lots of gay bars, lesbian bars, drag clubs. And as a side note, this was super fun. And I'm going to give you this link. In the early 80s, RuPaul um, wore drag in public for the first time in Club 688 on Spring Street in Atlanta. And I found a video, too, of RuPaul pre-drag debuting his band, The Wee Wee Pole, at at a club called The Nightery on Ponds. On Ponds. Yes. So I need to give you that. Because there were some really cool, like, there were some cool resources that I found that had some cool pictures, lots of, like, kind of awesome stuff about that time. So, um... So even though there there were a lot of places for folks to be and to meet other people, like, organized rights groups, not not really. Right. Um, And so, and it's in the 50s and 60s, there was this, I didn't know about this either until I started looking at this. There was this group called the Mattachine Society that was, like, button-up, suited, very, like, always white, I think, um, proper gay men who wanted to make change but they wanted to make it like from the inside like it's like they chose the slow and steady approach Mm -hmm. but they definitely weren't like much of a make waves kind of organization and they had some kind of you know counterproductive i think ideas about like what the homosexual community in quotes wanted like they didn't they were the republican gays kind of that's what i was thinking the white collar Yes, <laughs> that that really was what it seemed like. So, and I'm totally going to have to watch some documentaries on them because I'm just like, this is odd. Like, I don't know. I watched a PBS interview with one guy from who was um, uh, the leader of one of the Mattachine Society groups. And they asked him at the end of the interview, like, whether he was a homosexual. And he was like, well, I am and I'm not. Mm. And I was like, okay, this is where we are. Mm-hmm. This is what this group is. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
so that and there was also like the Janice Society was a lesbian counterpart of that, but I didn't I didn't find much. So there were kind of limited Power suits, shoulder pads. Yeah, I imagine so. <laughs> <laughs> I, was thinking, I don't want to make fun of these people, but that was what I was no. thinking too. I mean, it's just no. 80s, it's not making you know? fun. I mean eighties. Yeah, yeah, I mean eighties. Yeah, it's all coming I'm back around. Pull those out now. of your drawers. Um so um of course, there are problems in the community. It's still the 60s. You know, I mean, there are police raids of these gay bars are frequent. Um, entrapment, police entrapment, like, stinks are just happening all the time. Lots of issues with entrapment. Piedmont Park constantly getting raided. Um, and there's a state sodomy law in Georgia that made oral and anal sex between consenting adults a fel- felony punishable by 20 years in prison Fuck. and that did not get overturned until 1998 My so God. like it was no joke it was like if you get no oral either huh no uh-uh. there are states that have that like you know you can only have sex in the missionary, pres- missionary position law. to get out of the bedroom seriously states, I was you know? like, <laughs> it's like who do you think supports those laws right. those people you know who think that yeah mm-hmm. The, the government should get out of our personal lives right um so um and i learned uh, you know i learned because i didn't have a whole lot of people who talked to me about this stuff when i read stone butch blues by leslie leslie feinberg like several years ago because my sister-in-law gave it to me that like in the 50s and 60s if you were gay and you got arrested in a raid you were not treated like everybody else who gets arrested and, you know, everybody else who gets arrested, if they're black, isn't being treated well either. I mean, right. there are a lot of groups that aren't being treated well and by police. And they all police. have a month that we celebrate. We yes, need, we exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, but they would have, like, verbal harassment. There would be physical abuse. There would be rape in prisons of, of like, lesbians from lesbian bars. Oh, I'm sure. who, who, you know, got rounded up by the police for no reason at all. Um, and there's still high percentage of, like, mistreatment of especially transgender folks and especially black mm. transgender folks today. So imagine how that shit is in the 60s right in the drag scene in atlanta you just you know. come out of the atomic 50s where it's That's supposedly like the greatest generation oh, I know. of like the 2.5 kids mm-hmm. everybody's white with a white picket fence yes it your identical houses and it rows. did not fit <clears throat> their narrative yes and i mean in the 50s like you say like the fbi was actually keeping dossiers on like every oh, gay yeah. rights organization that tried to pop up and like you could get fired from your job without cause if somebody outed you. Right. So, I mean, there's all kinds of things on the line for folks, you know, when the police decide that they're going to raid. And um, so it's a danger to you physically and it's a danger to your livelihood. So it's no little thing. It's not like you can just like, oh, just post bail and move on. Like that, that right. isn't the case here. Not if you want to stay down here. Right? No. Yeah. So um, one of the popular places, actually still is a popular place for gay men in Atlanta is um, Ansley. And um, Ansley Mall is now home to an L.A. fitness that is um, lovingly called the Big Gay Gym. And a, <laughs> yes. and a Starbucks that is nicknamed the Bear Bucks. I want to go there. <laughs> I think my friend goes to that. <laughs> so, and Ansley? Ansley. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and, and there's also multiple, like, friendly shops and gay bars, like the Hideaway and Felix and Oscars. There are all these places, like, right in this little area and um so when this story took place in 1969 that mini mall that mall still it had a, like a Woolworths there where the LA Fitness uh, is now I remember Woolworths I know Woolworths yeah. but um there were already bars and gay clubs and hangout spots so 
in this mall, there was a little movie theater that was called the Ansley Mall Mini Cinema. And it played movies that you couldn't see other places like indie films and arty films and some foreign stuff. And they would play controversial, you know, intentionally play like art house cinemas always do play controversial stuff or second run things that you can't find anywhere. And um, it was later bought and renamed the film forum, but they kept doing that same kind of stuff. But on August 5th in 1969, this is just over a month after Stonewall happened in New York City. They decided that they were going to play Andy Warhol's Lonesome Cowboys, which I was like, I feel like I've heard of this. I don't. I didn't know he did a film. Apparently, he did several. Okay. I don't. I don't know a lot about Andy Warhol. Right. And so this this one, um, (laughs) the original name of it when he was in production for this movie was (laughs) was the Glory of the Fuck. And um, so it's an X-rated satire of U.S. Western movies. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Which I was funny because I was like, I wonder if like Brokeback Mountain or like was a response to yeah, like right? <laughs> Lonesome Cow or Lonesome Cowboys. So the plot loosely is that it's about two women who happen on a group of gay cowboys, like five gay cowboys, and there's just all kinds of just random like there'll be just random like whole. 15 minute long scenes of people just like dancing and then there's like sex scenes and the did plot, you watch it you didn't watch it I, you can't but, i mean i honestly thought about it but i didn't even know when i could safely watch it with two kids in my well, house yeah they did right. say it was x-rated <laughs> western satire we could just watch the movie and talk about it Shit. <laughs> i did look to see if i could find it but it didn't didn't look like it was going to be an easy hunt. So, um, yeah, sometimes you don't want to go in those <laughs> no, corners of the internet. Sometimes that's just not where you want to be. <laughs> so, this is, uh, oh, so apparently the plot is very, very, very loosely based on Romeo and Juliet in apparently some sort of a funny way. It won an award, like a new film critics award or some, not maybe not critics award, but new film award in San Francisco when it came out. But, you know, it's a sex movie, you know, it's graphic. Um, that there were a lot of people when I was reading about it just in connection with this story that said that there was like explicit gay sex scenes. But when I looked at it other places, it really looks like the only actual explicit sex scenes are, are completely hetero and that the gay stuff, like the, the gay um, sexuality that's portrayed in it is always like foreplay kind of stuff or just before, or, you know, just like play or it's just not, it's not like two dudes just fucking, which it doesn't really matter. Right. But, um, it's just funny that like, everybody's like, it's got gay sex scenes. And this guy's like, it doesn't though have gay sex scenes. They're all like men and women who have sex scenes, but people who liked this movie recently, like when I looked on reviews and stuff to try and get a sense People who liked the movie called it a beautiful piece of shit and great trash. Like, those were the best reviews that I found. And I think Andy Warhol would, like, totally dig that, right? That would be the best? That would be the best reviews It won the Best Film Award at the San Francisco International Film Festival. That's what it was. In in the heyday of San Francisco. 68 is when it was done. So that would be be enough to get the Atlanta police, like, Exactly. Because that's what happened. This is coming out of San Francisco. San Francisco. (laughs) So, um... And just like a little bit more like setting the stage, the progressive community in Atlanta is like actually, you know, they exist and they're they can be kind of loud right now. Like it's the end of the 60s, you know, civil rights era. Vietnam is going to continue until 1975. Right. People distrust the government. They are calling out police oppression. They're calling out oppression of all types. 
they're not always making LGP, LGBT issues part of that cause because it's still it's sort still of a fringe. Shunned. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a progressive paper in Atlanta at this time called The Great Speckled Bird. And I'll share the archives of it that I found from um, Georgia State University keeps the archives. And so you can just go on and read like every issue. And oh, it's, wow. It's pretty cool. It's like, you know, it's like old time zine. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, but they call out the police constantly for rough treatment. And it's one of those funny. It's like a Great Speckled Bird reporter was attacked by police doing this. And I was like, it's always your guys that are like roughed right? up. Right. But um. So they're always calling out the police for, like, their treatment of minorities and other progressive groups. But, um, you know, up until this point, like, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution actually, like, would run smear pieces about, like, throwing all the perverts out of Piedmont Park. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there's, like, these two really – there's a dichotomy in Atlanta. You know, we expect this. So, anyway, back at this movie. So it's a Tuesday night in the Ansley Mini Mall Cinema. They're going to show Andy Warhol's The Lonesome Cowboys. And so a bunch of the members of this progressive community are the people who show up for this showing because they're interested in arty films. And there's a bunch of the gay community who show up because San Francisco gave this film an award. And it's like, you don't get to see gay people on screen very often. So it's kind of cool to go, like, regardless. So, um, So the movie starts 15 minutes in they hear like a shrill whistle from the back of the movie theater and the lights go on and 10 police officers file into the theater and it's the APD and the Fulton County Sheriff work together on this raid. So the gay folks in the theater are like, fuck, I know what's going down and people start heading for the door. Mm -hmm. And when they get out, they realize they've stationed three people in the lobby to stop people from leaving. Like they really like they're raiding a fucking movie theater. And, um, so somebody had apparently called the sheriff the day before and said, oh, there's this obscene movie that's going to be played. Porn it's it's porn at, at this gay place. Porn it's like, to boot. exactly. And so they, and police noted in one of the AJC articles that it was going to be frequented by known homosexuals. And so, you know, that was a part of what they were going to do. So they detained temporarily like 70 people who were in the movie theater at the time oh, shit. with no cause. I mean, I mean, they're saying it's obscenity charges, but, it's you know, they're they're just in the movie theater. They take several to custody for anything from like public indecency, who God knows what that means, and drug charges. And um, then they call people, they tell people you have to stay in your seats and they call them up to the front by rows. And then they interview everybody and take pictures of them. What the fuck? Like they make them have, show their IDs and tell where they work and tell. And like, there was a woman who was interviewed for a couple of the articles named Abby drew and she's a lesbian. And she was there with um, a, a couple of friends of hers, I think who were straight married couple. And they, they were trying to destroy those people's lives. I know. Yeah. They called her up and the first question they had for her was, does your husband know you're here? I mean, cause they know what they're doing, right? You know, they're trying to like humiliate people. Mm-hmm. And, um, so they've done that. They seize the film, the actual copy of the film and they close the theater for the night. They arrest the projectionist and the manager oh on, on ob- obscenity charges and um an ajc article later this this is why i like the movie's manager though because the ajc article that interviewed him (laughs) said russ his name was joe russ and it said russ admitted the film did have homosexual overtones but added there was a girl in it (laughs) (laughs) so 
<laughs> a lot of people in Atlanta are horrified. This, this didn't make like huge news, but the great speckled bird like flew with this story. Blue, and um, <laughs> so the progressive community is pissed as hell. And it seems like this is the thing that got them because not only was it a gay issue, it was a prog- it was like obscenity. It was like puritanical yeah. police, stupid laws coming down on people for no reason. And um, the raid is unconstitutional. It's a violation of rights. So it just happened to be like the right stuff, getting the right groups of people together Mm -hmm. to do something. And, you know, of course, the gay community is pissed because they've seen this forever and they're fed up and they're pissed off. Right. So their joint voices kind of get a little bit louder. And six days after the raid, there are like several dozen protesters outside the Great Speckled Birds headquarters and they kind of join their you know, saying, get the pigs out of our community. You know, it's like an anti-police thing. Several people are arrested. The police mace people. And so this kind of amps it up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And shortly after that, this is just like happened in New Orleans. The um, a man named Bill Smith helped to found the Georgia Gay Liberation Front, which the Gay Liberation Front was like the national organization that had individual like branches in different states that was kind of bring people together for gay rights. And... um so they started talking immediately about doing a march. But in 1970, which was a year after the protest, they just didn't feel like they had enough support yet. And so they went to the Piedmont Park Arts Festival and they had a table and they just like handed out literature that was, you know, celebrating the the, hist- uh, the first anniversary of Stonewall. And in 71, they were like, OK, I think we can do it now. We're going to start to plan a march and like a parade march. Mm-hmm. And um they they tried to take leaflets into some of the most popular and like notable gay bars it, at the time and they physically got kicked out of the bars for distributing the leaflets oh wow and i think it's like one of those and they didn't say a whole lot about it in the articles that i read but i guess it's kind of like you know don't we have enough trouble already mm. you know what i mean yeah you know if you're a they business wanted- owner they didn't want to be inviting trouble. It's exactly. Like, like, like we just it, calm down. So let's not like ruffle any feathers. Well, and like, you know, if they find leaflets here on a regular basis, the cops are going to fucking come into right. my bar, right. you know? So I'm sure that's part of it. But, um, you know, there were people, people kept on planning it anyways. And then, um, according to project Q, they did their first pride March in June, 1971, and Burl Boykin, who was one of the people who was the first marshal for the march, said there were 125 people there. And um, he said, I know because I counted them twice. But they couldn't get <laughs> they couldn't get a permit for the march from the uh, city. Yeah, so they had to march on the sidewalk. And it was a protest. And Abby Drew, who was the person who got asked if she had a husband at the mm-hmm. raid, was there. And she said, this was a protest. It was not a march. Mm-hmm. And she said, the feeling was definitely different. It was like 125 people briskly walking saying what do we want gay rights when do we want them now mm-hmm. so it wasn't yet like the celebratory like rainbows and sparkles and you know like feather right. boas everywhere that we love right. now the dance routines right but the good thing is because of these people this october you can see what would i guess be the 50th anniversary of atlanta's oh, pride wow either hopefully not just virtually by then right. but um but like either virtually or in person because it, atlanta pride in case you don't know is october and not june and i i don't know why that is well because hopefully it's I mean, not as hot yeah fuck man <laughs> atlanta in june is like whew. brutal yeah. so yeah so you should go or you should watch or you should enjoy it but um 
Yeah, so that's the story of the Stonewall wow. of the South. And there are just a couple shout outs that I wanted to throw out for you guys as a fun little Pride Month bonus. There are a bunch of projects across the South that are trying to work to like catalog pictures and oral histories of um, the LGBTQ community in the South because, you know, notably an erased community who doesn't usually get their stories told in those time periods. Like a lot of things have been lost. Right. And so they're trying to make sure that they catch them. One of them is invisible histories project. If mm, you don't follow them yes. on Instagram, they're awesome. They are awesome. Um, so uh, you can follow them. They cover Georgia, Alabama and Mississippi, but mostly Alabama still, I think mm -hmm. um, there's a Brooks fund history project um, in Tennessee that I can link to that has oral histories of folks in middle Tennessee, William Nichols Archive and Voices of Kentuckiana does Kentucky and Georgia also has a program called Touching Up Our Roots. That's a really cool, it's got a lot of really neat stuff online. And awesome. so um, also just as a bonus, not a bonus, just like extra information. I've drunk a lot of watermelon. <laughs> Five out of the nine Southern states that we consider South on this show passed actively anti-LGBTQ laws in mm. 2021. So for Pride, if you want mm. to celebrate, fucking donate to the HRC. Yes. And I will drop a link in the show notes. Please go because it needs to be done and they do awesome work. So They do and they send you gifts. I just got my Pride I baseball know. tee for my donation. They're yeah. beautiful. Yes, the I just got it got. just came in the mail Friday or mm -hmm. Thursday. Awesome. The baseball tee and it says Pride across it in rainbow and HRC on the back. It's very cool. Love it. So, do it. Go do donate, y'all. That's it. That's my store. Rat. <laughs> nobody died. Yay, nobody died. <laughs> Thanks. We'll Break. be back in a second. Break. Do you want more Strange South every week? We can help. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at thestrangesouth.com. Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there. Oh, y'all pray for me that I can make sense. <laughs> Amen. 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 Recording's like, yes. <laughs> I really fucking hope you can make Oh sense. my God. I laughed so hard. I think some chip Hands went into up. my nose. I'm wearing a blanket shawl. You look a little like Pensatucky. <laughs> with your hands up like that. <laughs> yep. Yes. My hair to the side. Hair to the mm -mm. side. The reason. The reason. <laughs> oh, not going. Not a strong start. <laughs> <clears throat> the reason. We're praying that I'm okay. It's because the information that I have, and which I really wish I would have gone first. Yes. Damn it! Um, I should have probably like forced that issue a little bit more. Because <laughs> yeah, because you didn't force that at all. You were like, oh damn! Because <laughs> I wanted to drink. <laughs> I wanted to drink, and now I'm, I'm regretting my life's decision. Oh so, no! Is this a fire story? No. <laughs> Okay. But, but the, the information on the story that I'm doing, I put off for like months because 
all the information out there is so overwhelming. Oh. And I've started and stopped several times. And then I'm just like, okay, I just got to just fucking do it. Just, just do it. Commit to it, Patrice. <laughs> and of course, I'm committing to it after I just <laughs> drank this really strong ass drink. And Marleya just told a fantastic story. <laughs> so I'm feeling the pressure. But this uh, story was given to me by our friend Kenneth on the um, Strange South uh, Facebook group, fan group. And he's given me a couple of like leads. Kenneth, you've been great. Thank you so much for like, he would like message in. It's like, hey, have you heard about this person? Or hey, have you heard about this person? Of course, I'm like, no, no, I haven't heard about any of these people. (laughs) So thank you. But he asked if I had heard about Edgar Casey. Okay. Have you heard about Edgar Casey? I have not. No. Okay. <laughs> so Edgar Casey is also known as the Sleeping Prophet. And this is probably going to be part one because there is so much information. Um, he's also known as basically like the other Nostradamus. Oh my God, really? And... Wow. um. And he is so well documented, and he there's so much information out there. Uh, I've you know listened to podcasts, I've like Wikipedia, thanks, uh, but it just skims the surface. I've got his uh, biography that I'm listening to right now by uh, Kirkpatrick, I think his name is. But I'll put I'll put all those links up there, and that's just like maybe like just a small percentage of all the information that is out here. So I am really just going to cover his beginning in Kentucky years. Cool. Uh, which all of this was just so fascinating and new to me. That shows you how much I'm not really into um, like new age and holistic stuff. Mm-hmm. But this is truly a Pandora's box of info like, you know, that's just been shoved in my brain. And then, of course, I didn't remember anything. I'm going to try to remember everything that I've learned so far. And just how popular this guy is, is absolutely unbelievable. So bear with me if you know a lot or if you're like an Edgar Casey expert, because apparently there's a lot of them out there. Hmm. Um, I will try to do my best, but I am not really... <laughs> well, I'm excited. Come on anyway. now. I'm like, you can do this. I'm, I'm Self-talk. I can, do it. I can do it. I can do it. Okay, so Edgar. Positivity. Right. Edgar Casey, And and the main thing, the main information that I'm going to share with you today is from an interview with um, William T. Turner, which is, who is a history professor up in Kentucky. I uh, watched an interview that he gave, um, just barely skimming uh, part of Edgar Casey life wikipedia which again has kind of a rough draft and to show how popular this guy is when i started researching him between like last month and now the wikipedia information changed like they had updated it um which was kind of weird um having that happen like in that shorter period of time but edgar casey if you do not know is an american clairvoyant who claimed to channel from his higher self. His sessions uh, would 
uh, often have, he would go into this uh, trance-like state where he would fall asleep and he would give his prophecy from this sleep-like state. So basically that's why they called him the sleeping prophet, uh, which is really weird. And I mm -hmm. think also the best gig ever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, if I could not, if I could work in like the sleeping professor... <laughs> And still teach from a trance-like state. But I think that's kind of happened this past year. Yes. <laughs> but still. Um, and rocking it. And rocking it. And rocking it like he did. Um, is this is this like current day? Like is this? Is so, he? no. No. Okay. He's turn of the century. Okay. 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 So Turn of the... Uh, like eight, not, late 19th to 20th. Yeah. yeah. Not this last. <laughs> not, not this last. Yeah. No, we're we're talking about like during the whole like mysticism, spirituality kind of push, Victorian mm -hmm, mm -hmm. age kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, you know, okay. Anyway, you don't Sleeping. know. You don't know. So that's, that's <laughs> what we're gonna do. Spoilers. He, he is considered uh, the true founder and principal source um, of the most characteristic characteristic beliefs of the new age movement okay. so like the new age thing that came about like in the 70s and 80s uh, a lot of them uh, were drawn off of his prophecies and his readings and again never heard of the dude um, but he's a southerner and it's fitting um, listening to his life story uh, how the south played a you know a role in his story and it's, it's really I know, it's just really interesting okay so he was born March 18th 1877 in Kristen Christian County Kentucky and this Christian County Kentucky is also where Hopkinsville, Kentucky is seated, oh. which is we covered in episode something or other. Our live show from Stone Center, Jacksonville. Boom. Yes. The Hopkinsville. Goblins yes. case yes. and the Kelly Greenman case. So mm -hmm. this is like Southern Great. Western Kentucky where all the really fucking strange shit happens. Of course, <laughs> this is where he's born. Uh, he was one of six and reading his or listening to his biography, it goes into a lot of detail. There was a lot of information um, about Casey and his family and where they came from um, and about his granddad and, and all of that and his really early life. Um, because apparently the Casey family in this area were pretty prolific and they uh, tend to marry I think there was another family called the majors and they tend to marry like people in the majors family but in uh, honestly listening it, it sounded like they just ended up kind of marrying cousins and then mm -hmm. you know it, they everything kind of stayed in the family and mm -hmm. then that area grew and it's like they farmed and married the cousins there and, it, and that's kind of the thing of what you did I guess back in those days days and growing up um he his grandfather they were farmers well his father and his mother were farmers or want to be farmers or maybe not want to be farmers his grandparents were definitely farmers and they grew i think what they called black tobacco or dark tobacco which was the tobacco used in pipes oh, okay and chew 
not necessarily the cigarette tobacco. So tobacco was like the big industry for them. And um, his father, uh, Leslie Casey, and his mother, Carrie, farmed for a little bit, but his father was not really good at farming. Um, it was not his thing. Leslie Casey was sort of the black sheep of the family. He wanted to go into business, but he wasn't really that good of a businessman. He was, you know, he drank a lot. Of course, you know, you got Kentucky, Kentucky whiskey there mm-hmm. too, and this is before Prohibition. And his, his grandfather would always like have a barrel of whiskey around and um, so that everybody drank, but I think Leslie drank a little bit too much, and he was kind of a angry drunk or a mean drunk, uh, and that kind of affected uh, Edgar in his life. And they lived in this isolated community, and it was basically all their relatives around them. Growing up, Edgar had six. Um, they say they had there were six children in the family. I don't know, I think one, you know, big families, you know, kids die, brothers and sisters die kind of thing. But I think at the end of the day, like six was the number. It doesn't really matter. Um, (laughs) But the thing of it is, is that Edgar was the oddball. He was like the really, they called him when he was young, like the old man, because Hmm. there was something different about him he didn't like to hang out with other children he um had imaginary friends and the imaginary friends part is really interesting because he would go out and he would talk to these imaginary friends and they just thought like maybe it was a stage or something like that and he would play with them, but it was just it was just kind of odd because he would always like kind of go out there and he would describe them um, in pretty big detail. And he was also pretty accident prone. Mm-hmm. So when he was like very young, he almost drowned in a sinkhole. Oh my and god! One of the um, one of the uh, black men. I don't know if he was enslaved or if he was a freeman. I want to say he. he he may have been like on the edge of like he was an enslaved um, worker, but then he was freed by the family later on. That's kind of the feeling I got. But he was the one that actually saved. And this was like when he was like one or two. Damn. He was very independent as like a very small like toddler. Just wandering off into sinkholes. Just wandering <laughs> off into sinkholes. Uh, also, one of the things that happened to him. So there's several stories. Like if you listen to um, podcast about um, Edgar Casey, or if you listen or read anything, there's several different people's opinions and take on like what gave him his gifts kind of thing. And in his biography, one of the things that they said is like when he was just like two or three years old, his dad um, would like three times a year would go seven miles to town to get supplies and stuff. And they only did that because, of course, there was he had to walk kind of deal or he had to take a horse. It was far away. So he chased after his dad and tripped on something uh, on the porch. And there was a nail <gasps> that was sticking up and he landed his oh head landed on the nail. And they said that the nail punctured through his skull oh. and actually into ah! 
his uh, brain. And after that, they said that his that that he changed. And they're thinking that may have, this may have been. So people attribute like the drowning um, and having a near death experience oh is what God. kind of like activated his powers or whatever. Uh, other people state that having you know punctured his brain with a nail. Um, altered his state and that is a little bit more like I think with several psychics are people who have um, psychic uh, abilities that awaken uh, it's usually after some sort of brain trauma to Mm. the same thing so they're thinking like maybe this was when things really started to awaken but the thing about it is is that Casey's grandfather um I think is was Thomas Jefferson Casey. Um, I thought you were just going to say Thomas Jefferson. Wow. <laughs> right. No, no, no famous. No. Everybody, <laughs> was, everybody was named Thomas Jefferson something, something yeah. back in those days. But he was, he had psychic abilities too that the family kind of knew about, but they were all, you know, God fearing people and so you don't squash these abilities you just you know they were they were fearful that if he used his powers and they said his powers they said this is like hearsay from the family that's been written about in all the bazillion books and stuff that's out there um and even casey himself wrote like his biography like he wrote a bunch of stuff too uh but his grandfather supposedly had um psychic abilities but he also had telekinesis like he could move things with his mind but he feared that god would punish him for like entertainment purposes and he was only supposed to use his gifts for good and to benefit others and not for again like you know party tricks entertainment is good i thought so god has a sense of humor yes you know gotta show the young kids fun or something i don't know (laughs) I don't know. Move the table. (laughs) Move the cat. Move the cat. (laughs) (laughs) We'll sit. Hold on. And so then he said, well, he used his powers later on to grow things. So he concentrated his energy or the gift that God gave him into making things grow and i'm like oh god has not gifted me with that (laughs) there is no psychic gifting of plant growth in me (laughs) at all so they they knew this in the family this was something that was talked about and so at this age you know right afterwards he started like talking to he called them the little people and these were his imaginary friends the smurfs Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Basically, he was talking to the Smurfs. Uh, another <laughs> another thing that he ran into, like he was, like I said, he was accident prone. Um, so he also uh, had a ball like hit him uh, in the back or something, oh like really God. hard. And again, they said he wasn't really right after that. I'm like, well, yeah, after like being drowned, like <laughs> having an F go through your head, hitting the back, you know, mm. um, and I think it knocked him out. And when he woke up, he was oh, yeah. a little bit different, too. Of course, you know, all of these things that have happened, they were like, well, he was never the same. The one thing that did happen um, 
again, that is just kind of cringing here is they said that he had a testicle impaled by a stick. Jesus! What? God hates this child! And so I was like, Darwin is like really trying to take this kid out. This kid should not be alive. But he survived that. The doctor says that he would never have children because of his impaled testicle. Oh my god. But he did. He had, he, he did have, uh, you know, he did have kids. Um, How many nicknames must he have had? I he, mean, besides had, old man. He had a lot. <laughs> um, so, again, all these different theories about, you know, what, you know, you know, having your testicle impelled and make you see Jesus. So there, there was a lot of, of, of things. And he always attributed throughout his life, Edgar Casey always attributed his gift to something given to God um, as a gift to be used for good and not evil and to be used. Um, and, and it's just, it's interesting to me because I was, I was listening to this and I've been reading about him. I'm like, you know, He's attributing it to God, which I feel like he really believed in. He really, like, the whole God-Jesus thing. He was a devout Christian. He actually got his parents going to church. Uh, once he, like, found the Bible and read the Bible, he read it, like, every single year, cover to cover, until he died. Mm. And and I think he was trying to find uh, just truth. But I think he was also trying not to get burned at the stake. Yeah. I mean, to me, I feel like there's kind of a, if this was a woman who had done the same thing, yeah. he, uh, she would not have had the illustrative career no. uh, that he has had and not have like brought in this new age movement. Although, I mean, he was burdened. This was a gift that he was burdened with because he did not charge for any of his readings. And he has gone through just, he he has gone through so much stuff as far as like trying these different things and like this doesn't work that doesn't work and then the public just constantly hounded him um the historian that i was watching the interview said that it was really the public's demand took a toll on him and is basically what killed him Damn, if um, he did everything for free, then fuck the public. <laughs> <laughs> but in the, Jeez. you know, in, in the Bible Belt, you know, mm. it's God's will, and that's what, you know, he believed. And so his imaginary playmates, again, his, his parents and the community thought he was a little weird because he didn't play with the other kids. He wasn't interested in sports. I'm like, I hear you, man. <laughs> um, and he had these imaginary playmates that were very real to him and that he would talk to uh, when he was for him and his grandfather um, were out because his grandfather during this age his grandfather basically became his caregiver and they had a really strong relationship and uh, he was walking his grandfather was riding a horse and they came upon the pond and Edgar wanted to play with the minnows which like I totally get I played mm -hmm. with minnows when I was a kid that yeah. was like the best fun <laughs> so he wanted to play with minnows and his grandfather's horse got spooked by a snake or something oh my god what did the horse do to him and then ended up like charging and like went across the pond and swam across the pond his grandfather stayed on the horse and then uh, he thought it was going to jump the fence on the other side, but the horse got spooked again and um, 
ended up like throwing his grandfather off the horse, stomped on his <gasps> chest, and then he went into the water. And so, and, and Edgar's four years old. Can oh you remember your child God. being four years old? So Edgar goes and finds an adult. He goes, walks, and finds, like, one of his uncles or a neighbor or something close by and brings him out to the pond to show him where his granddad went into the pond. He's four years old. Holy shit. My kid never could have done that. Um, he would just, like, I don't know. It just, he was very independent. He was, like... Oh he was attuned God. to things. But anyway, so he witnessed this. And it ended up, his grandfather had died. Ugh. And they pulled him out. And um, that day he, you know, they took him and they showed the body. And they did all the traditional things. And he witnessed all of this. But he wasn't, he, he was upset, but he wasn't that sad. And after they had the viewing and after they put him into a coffin, uh, Edgar, four years old, like couldn't be found. And so his folks went to go look for him and they found him in his grandfather's barn. And he was talking to somebody in the barn and they asked him who you were talking to. And they were like, he was talking to his grandfather. Yeah. So, um, you know, he ended up, you know, of course that kind of freaked everybody out and yeah. it was so fresh and everybody's like, ah, but they, they, they knew Edgar was like this and they knew that you know his grandfather um had these specials so in the family i don't think like the immediate family it wasn't that big a deal but mm -hmm. it's kind of those things you don't go advertising to the general public right <laughs> but i mean all their general public were their cousins that they married and the cousins cousins <laughs> that they married right so so but this was again something that made his parents a little weary but it was normal for edgar and so there was a lot of conversations uh, that happened with, um, you know, his grandfather. And he found Edgar a little bit later on, found a friend, and I forget her name. And they became, they were so happy that he was, like, actually interacting with another human being. And it was, like, this little girl. And they played together, and they played with the little folks, and apparently oh. she could see the little folks, too. And they would just do, like, they would go off, like, and go to, like, an, uh, an island in the middle of a river kind of thing. And after his grandfather died, the little folks um, didn't play so much with him anymore, but they would, like talk to him and like tell him stories okay. and they would tell him stories about his ancestors and like the different things that his ancestors did um only things that his grandfather's generation would know would happen and so you know six-year-old edgar comes back to his families and relays these stories and totally freaks like oh my god everybody out and um and he's like, you know, it's the little people. And it's really interesting. After his grandfather died, so, you know, that changed a little bit. And also, when he's out on this island with his friend, they, um, he starts talking about, I forgot what they call him. It's not, so the little people, he's talking, but he starts talking about these little sprites hmm. that also come up. 
that um, the little people, I think, maybe introduced him and his friend, uh, too. And the little sprites aren't as friendly as the little people. Uh. And they don't really like children. But, um, you know. This is creepy. Yeah, it is very creepy. And, yeah, and then you have, like, your, your, it kind of reminds me of the time, like, when my son was, like, two or three years old and in daycare, uh, he had imaginary friends and that was fine. But then he would start talking about them. And I would always ask, I was like, is this a janitor that's talking to you <laughs> at the daycare? Do I need to speak to somebody about this? I was like, who is this grown man talking to you? Mm. Um, you know, kind of deal. And this was, this was my son's imaginary friend that he would tell stories about. Oh, wow. So that like one or two incidences of that freaked my shit out. Yeah. Um. So having this happen, the sprites don't like children. The sprites don't like to like stop talking to the damn sprites. You know. Hi. But you know, it kind of uh, it uh put into perspective also the grandfather talking about you know his powers and the sprites actually helped like the plants grow that was like oh. the purpose of the sprites is to help like things grow and to um you know to be like the part of nature which is what his grandfather kind of harped on um, i swear to god there's an irish yeah there there is like, an irish an irish like like little people mm -hmm. myth about the ones that help right. things grow right right yes yes and this is they talked about in in his um, biography they talked about the little people and the psychics who uh, had uh, communicated with little people um you know from ireland and and, and all all the places in europe oh my and stuff God, that's it's crazy it is crazy they uh also like either the sprites Oh, I think it's the little people that he was talking to, those Smurfs, <laughs> that uh, started, you know, telling them his names. And it in, he at one point, he may have written later on when he was, like, writing his memoirs or whatever, that the little people ended up being reincarnated to people that he ended up meeting later on oh my god or something like crazy like that it's really crazy this this dude his whole story <laughs> that's what i'm saying this is part one we haven't even left like diapers yet really you know it's just so nuts oh my god that's crazy so a little bit later on, we still not haven't even hit like the double digit yet, and all this trauma too. It's like holy shit, all like, this trauma. Yeah, the clutch stick and oh. nail head and grandpa dead. Right, it's bad. It is bad. Uh, that was callous. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so he, let's see what I'm doing. So talk about the vision that he had in the woods. So in 1889. I can't do the math to figure out how old he was. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Courtney's like 12. She's channeling math right now. <laughs> I could channel some math. So when he was 12, um, he started reading the Bible. He became very interested in the Bible because I think the black man who saved his life told him some um, some stories that were in the Bible that really interest him. And he's like, well, how come I've never heard of these stories? Um, and it's because his parents didn't go to church, which was like not a big, it's not that they were like not Christian. They just didn't go. To, I mean, they were working people. They had things to do. 
so he started becoming interested in this. So he started reading the Bible and he ended up like going into this hut in the woods and he saw this woman with wings and told him that his prayers were um his prayers would be answered and asked him like what what would do you want most of all and he was like really frightened and scared because you know woman with wings in oh, the woods yeah. would like scare you but i mean he's been talking he's to 12. the smurfs I know, why, right? That's true. why is this like a thing for him but he was frightened he said he wanted most of all to help others especially sick children and he decided at this point he would go into ministry and so um he like went back to his family and he's like look i don't know if he told them about the angel that he saw in the woods but he did come back and said look i'm gonna go into ministry we need to get our ass to church <laughs> and so he started making you know his parents go into ch to church and he's 12 and he's like 12 13 yeah I and and, he, and well. he ended up like he he would hear the lady of the voice um and she would like uh appear to him uh you know several times and one of the times he wasn't that good um the fact that he read the bible was something kind of crazy uh one of the big stories that is told of the story this one of the stories that is told most often when you uh look up uh edward or edgar casey is that when he, he had a hard time, he was 13 years old and he was like third grade level. Hmm. Uh, he was not that smart. And to be fair, like the one room school that he went to, everybody knew him. Most of them were related to him. They gave him shit. They bullied him. The teachers bullied him well, because he was odd. He wasn't like everybody else. He didn't fit the mold of like being the person who liked sports mm -hmm. who hung out with other kids and bullied each other and so he he was bullied a lot and teased a lot by the children and and by the teachers themselves oh that pisses me off i know and he was having a really hard time um he couldn't focus a lot of what a lot of the, his problem at that time was that he couldn't focus so he gets sent to like the dunce's corner a lot because he was just in his other world um and so one night his father was helping him with a spelling book and he could not like he couldn't catch a break he couldn't spell the word cabin like, it just was not coming to, it wasn't sticking. It was, everybody was frustrated. His father, who has been known to be a violent man, who, uh, you know, uh, Edgar was a little bit scared because he had gotten beatings before for, you know, not doing the right thing. And he said that he heard the woman's voice say, you just need to lay your head on the book and take a nap. So he convinced his dad that he's like, look, I'm really tired. Just let me lay down for like 15 minutes or so. And then we can like, we can continue on and, and I'll get it. So he put his head on the book and he took a nap. And then when he woke up, oh my God, he could spell every word in that book. And this started to become his thing. The angel gave him osmosis. He yes, started. <laughs> he started. Um, he would know things that 
it would be impossible for for this little boy from Kentucky to know. Um, he would like recite long passages from like uh, books uh, to people, of course, which was problematic because everybody was like, "Oh, crazy town," <laughs> you know, to this poor boy. But you know, he, he that started you know become one of his powers that uh, he had. And, um, and everybody in that town just started, you know, they didn't start, they continued to shun him and just avoided him and, and whatnot. You know what I had, like, I had just like a little aside and I was just thinking, you know, wouldn't it be cool if all like the weirdnesses that our kids had, if we just told them that they were their powers? I know. Like what a difference that would make. What a difference. Uh, Yes. Anyway, I, I agree. I, I wish I could go back and say, like, yes, that yeah, is your, your, this is as, your as long as, you know, you're not having real conversations with the janitor <laughs> <laughs> at your daycare, <laughs> then he is your superpower. Unless he says, do bad things. <laughs> then we yeah, I guess it's problems. more complicated. It's <laughs> complicated. <laughs> okay. So he grows up. Um, let's see. I'm gonna take a long pause I here. I threw so you off. Find. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's fine. All right. So things happen off and on. He grows up. He ends up helping his dad. Um, you know, with whatever his dad's doing at the time. His dad treated him basically like shit. Like, his dad sounds like a real piece of work, but... Uh, That's why his grandfather was, like, basically taking care of him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but throughout uh, Ed- Edgar's life, he did not abandon his dad. Like, he took care of his dad throughout, even though his dad, again, was very unkind to him. Um, he always took care of his dad throughout his life. And we talked about him being struck by a baseball... Like, I was like, oh my God, that too. Yes, I know. And his dad, I mean, once this kind of started, once the baseball thing happened, um, he went to sleep and he kind of self-diagnosed his cure and his dad saw an opportunity and he started boasting. He's like, my son is the greatest fellow in the world when he's asleep, Mm. you know, kind of thing. And his you know, has this ability um, to do these things. But after the baseball thing, it, it didn't happen for a long time. Because, again, one thing that Edgar said is that I I cannot, I don't want to do this, and I cannot do this for self-gain and for, um, and for others' self-gain. It has to be for the good of the people. So in this Kentucky, you know, he grows up, he meets this woman, um, or this girl, and um, they get engaged, and let me find, oh, Gertrude was this her name. This isn't the same person that could talk to the little people, is it? No, unfortunately, um, he moved. They said, like, the, this little girl, and I forget her name, that he spent time with when he was younger, Um his dad switching jobs again they had to move and so he um he didn't get to play with her that much after i think it was like two or three years that they were like best buds Mm -hmm. and and 
talking to the little people and stuff. And a little bit later on, she ended up having um, uh, pneumonia. Oh, no. Ended up uh, dying of pneumonia. <sighs> but he ran to, like, he was there when she died. Like, Aww. so, but it was, yeah, it was very sad. Yeah, a little playmate. But, um, so they moved to Hopkinsville again with another job opportunity for his dad. And, uh, he never completed, like, I think past ninth grade education. Cause during that time for working class kids, that was like the most, and I even think ninth grade education was like high. pretty like high, yeah. high end for that. Um, he became engaged to Gertrude Evans in 1897 and throughout his life. Um, you know, I told you he read the Bible once a year, they were attending church and, uh, during this time, he said he could see auras around people. He spoke to angels, and he heard voices of the um, of the departed relatives. Hmm. Of course, Gertrude was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> she was not on board with the whole. It's like that's kind of your little peculiar thing. That's not my thing. I'm like in reality here. And, you know, that's a little odd, but I love you anyway, kind of deal. And, um, let's see. And so he, like, he got engaged. He started working with his father for the Woodsman of the World Insurance Company. So they became, like, insurance people, which, mm. I mean, that kind of suited his dad to a T. That's kind of, like, the personality that I get for his dad would be, like, an insurance person. <laughs> insurance salesman. Insurance salesman. But Edgar was struck by laryngitis, and he lost completely lost his speech. What the hell? I know. And if you look at him, he looks, he looks like someone who's tried to die like 15 times. He looks, yes, he looks like he is part of, yeah, the Adams family. Oh, he does. Courtney's holding up a picture. Mm -hmm. He does. He, he, he does look like the Adams family. He does look, look like part of the Adams family. Now, there's something about that picture that's very much like the style of the picture, but no. it's an Edward Gorey kind of look to him, like sunken and. Mm -hmm. Yes. So he was struck down by, in 1900, he was struck down by laryngitis <laughs> and he couldn't speak and he was unable to like sell stuff if you can't speak. So he took up the trade of photography, which actually became um, one of his great loves. Like he loved photography and it suited him at this time because he could just work in the dark room and he wouldn't have to speak to anybody. And so he um, he began an apprenticeship at a photography studio in Hopkinsville at W.R. Bowles and became quite talented. And, like, that's the reason we have so many pictures of him and his family is because of his love of photography. And so he's not speaking. And a year later, a traveling hypnotist comes to town by the name of Hart uh, who also referred to himself as the Laugh Man. Okay. okay. Right? Must be legit. Mm. And he was performing at the Opera House there, and he heard about Casey's throat condition. Because everybody in the area kind of knew, you know, Casey was psychic, mm -hmm. or had, you know, these abilities. 
it was kind of whispered about. And again, we are in kind of the Victorian age or come out of the Victorian age of mysticism and spiritualism and all of that. Um, and so he's like, you know, what if we tried like hypnotism? What if we can like convince him through hypnotism that his voice is going to come back? So he did this hypnotism and tried to do like a post-hypnotic suggestion that his voice would function. And of course it was unsuccessful, but they tried again and, and Hart had to go like on the road and Casey was like, you know, maybe, maybe this is something. And so he tried another hypnotist from New York and, uh, apparently there's like stages of hypnotism and it was like they could never get him to the third stage of hypnosis, which I have no idea. This hmm. is all very fuzzy for me. Um, but, and he would like be able to speak for a little bit, but then he'd go back to not oh. being able to speak. And so, uh, his local hypnotist, I guess that you have in town. Um, <laughs> Neon sign. Yeah, right? Like you, like you do. Worked with him and finally got him into a state of hypnosis or taught him how to get himself into a state of hypnosis. And this is where Casey's like clairvoyance pretty much came into effect. Oh. And so when he would go into this state, uh, the hypnotist that he was working with, uh, you know, would ask him things and Casey would like prescribe things while he was sleeping or, you know, and give him remedies and they would work. And it was just the weirdest thing. And, and I want to like, there's something that he says when he goes under that was I thought was really odd. He talks about we. He speaks about himself as. But he can talk now. Uh, he can. It it takes. If he's I think. In the state, like I think it takes a while. I think he has to do this a couple of times before it finally heals. To me, I don't know if it's so, it's so much the hypnotist or it's just time that mm. healed it. Oh okay. Um, but they're saying it was the hypnotist stuff, but this guy, like, you know, you should, you know, try to like do self, the self-imposed hypnotic trance, um, to get your clairvoyance so that you can heal yourself kind of deal. So anyway, so this becomes a thing and he would start diagnosing like people, of like medical shit that he has no, like he's not the brightest person in the room. <laughs> um, and he would start giving these diagnoses to people and they would work. Um, one of the things that was really funny that uh, was, listed, uh, you know, they were talking about, he would give these uh, remedies and he was reluctant to do this. Cause he's like, God, what if I kill somebody? Yeah. He's like, then I would be a murderer. Mm. like, I cannot, I cannot, you know, he was a nice guy. I mm -hmm. cannot do this with that. So he was reluctant to do it. But the hypnotist was like, oh, yeah, you, you got this. You can do it. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. But um, when he would go under, he would say something like, we see the body. 
kind of dealt. Um, and he would talk very clear and he would give like medical terms. He would talk about like all this, uh, nervous system organs. Um, he would, he would go in, he would, he would have so many different, uh, like broad knowledge of medicine, um, and the body that, you know, when he woke up, he wouldn't know what he said mm -hmm. and they would tell him what he said. He's like, I don't even know how to spell that <laughs> kind of deal. But, no. I can't spell cabin. Right. I can't spell cabin. He ended up, um, marrying Gertrude. They got married in 1903. And, uh, one of the stories that he tells are the stories that the historian that, uh, told, was that, you know, again, she was not a believer. And they had children. And their first child born was fine. Second child, uh, she ended up getting tuberculosis. Oh, no. And uh, somebody, I don't know if it was him or somebody else, convinced him to do a reading for her. Okay. And so he did a reading. And during the reading, he said that she would not die of tuberculosis. Because that was something else. He could predict, like, when people would die. Um, she would not die of tuberculosis, but she would lose the child. And it ended up that she did not die of tuberculosis, but she did, like, lose the child. So once that happened, once he predicted that... Um, she became like a true believer and she believed him. Um, and I think she also, um, was a little bit, um, I don't know the whole death of her child and his, um, his prediction of the whole thing, like had a really big, uh, effect on her. So he's kind of doing his thing low key. <laughs> Uh, let me go back to these notes here. Let's see. He's doing things low key. He, he did his first reading, like his first reading, it was in 1901. And the reason we have so much information on him is that he hired a stenographer. Oh. Uh, so when he went under, oh, she that makes took sense. like, all of everything that he said down. I kind of wondered how that was working. And, and so he, you know, he is like one of the most recorded psychics ever because uh, from the time he started doing readings, he has everything written down. All right. We did the voice loss. Da, da, da. <laughs> He ended up, um, like, he would do, like, eight or nine readings a day. Everybody, like, heard about him diagnosing people. And, again, being still in, we're still in Kentucky, still being in Kentucky, uh, you know, not having access to medical doctors necessarily everywhere. People would come in and get readings. But he could do readings. All he needed was, like, your name and location. Mm -hmm. He could do readings from somebody writing in and giving him names and locations. Huh. And one of the things, um, 
let me just one of the things and it's interesting too the the historian like said he was written about in the kentucky newspaper all the time i was like oh we've got a newspaper.com subscription so i looked it up and the first article that was written about him was in 1910 in the messenger Enquirer from owensburg kentucky he was 31 years old at the time and y'all i know i'm skipping over some some parts and that's okay because this is part one i may come and revisit some other things yep but I looked at this article and I'll post it on the show notes. Queer powers of diagnosis. Hopkins photographer leaps to fame before medical world. He amazes the doctors um, claimed by a reputable doctor that the man never fails in his test. So he ended up meeting with or becoming friends with this man called Dr. Ketchum. And Dr. Ketchum was a um, homopathic, homeopathic, homeopathic, homeopathic um, doctor. So he was kind of like on the fringe, but still a doctor. There was still snake oil doctor stuff (laughs) going on at the time. So um, not necessarily like 100% like surgeon, surgeon doctor, Mm. but... Uh, he went actually before the American Association uh, for Clinical Research at Boston and talked about uh, Edgar's wonderful psychotic, psychotic, <laughs> <laughs> psychic powers. Uh, he didn't like give uh, Edgar's name in the paper, um, but everybody in Kentucky like put two and two together and mm-hmm. knew that, who they were talking about. And he said that he had diagnosed over 100 cases without uh, failure with just the name and address. He doesn't have a medical education. Uh, he doesn't have the mental power to take such an education is what he said. You know, he talked about the nervous system, circulation, organs of the body without knowing any of that beforehand. And, um, you know... One of the diagnoses he did was someone in Ohio had written in and got under the, the knife, and the doctor confirmed um, the doctor confirmed or or he said that this this person was was bleeding internally and that she was going to bleed to death. Um, and they wrote to like this doctor in. Chicago or this person in Chicago say you are bleeding internally you're going to die if this doesn't happen and they found out that this person went under the knife and they confirmed it through their doctor but it was too late by the time like the snail mail yeah right the time bonus of email texting uh got to him she had already died but everything that he had said had like come true before they even like sent it to the person there uh in uh, Chicago. There was also uh, he also would get like lots of people writing in, and he would be like, you know, look, you're suffering from hysteria, mm. or basically you're um, a hypochondriac, and there's really nothing wrong with you. You just need to go to work, and you'll feel better. And he said he had like a lot of those, which I'm like, oh, that's kind of like everybody, right? Well, I mean, maybe maybe he. Didn't know about mental health issues yet. Yeah, true, true. That's that's true. That's Maybe true. the spirits couldn't. Uh, so you know, catch to find that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, catch them. 
boosted him up a lot. Uh, he didn't take <coughs> money. Casey didn't take monies for his readings. He was always like on the edge of poverty. However, he did so much. I'm like, how did he do all that if he was always on the edge of poverty? Yeah. But again, uh, being a white man in this time yeah. uh, afforded you a lot of grace. Uh, he had like two uh, photographic studios burnt down that he uh, was a part of. And like on purpose burnt down? I don't just think so. But the this string is of bad odd. luck that just follows a string, him? Yes, because Wasn't there it very was... flammable to the chemicals? Well, the chemicals. Yes. Yeah. And also, there was like was fires. Kind of like his mm. grandparents' place like burned. Or there was there were some other things. There was Maybe a lot was of fires. I think the sprites light fires. They may be. There the may be some sprites following or some smurfs. Mm. But they don't some, like children. <laughs> that don't like children flammable but there's a lot of fires going on here so he was all the time like you know going bankrupt because of bad luck and not taking money people would donate money but or chickens or goats or whatever <laughs> but you know not enough um and he was completely broke and at this time uh ketchum dr ketchum was like saying hey let's go into business together we can make some money you've got the talent i got the collaterals mm. apparently or you know um the name and he finally talked him into it and the only condition that casey set for him was saying that i will not take money for my readings um because he considered that he was he was doing ministry. He considered he was prophetizing, right? Um, and he was also like, Ketchum was like, let's figure out why you're doing this. Let's mm. figure out like what, what makes you you kind of deal. And Casey was like really wanting to know, like, is there a more scientific reason why he was able to do all these things? And he subjected himself to like a lot of, Probing and oh my god, no probing and and he's things. already lost a testicle, Ugh. right? And one of the um, one of the investigations from somebody in the medical community was so I think violent while he was under that he was like, "Fuck y'all, never again." What the hell? I don't know. I don't know what he did. But so he did this with Ketchum for a while while he was there in Kentucky. And shortly afterwards, he got this weird feeling. So he decided to do um, a reading or, or a trance without Ketchum there. And uh, he learned that Ketchum was not being honest with him and that he was actually using... Um, Casey for monetary gain. He was like, you know, getting, you know, the name of the dogs or the horses that were going to win and winning. Mm. Like he was actually getting these things. And Casey was like, that is not who I am. It makes him like he, he did do it once knowingly where he gave somebody like a stock tip or something like that. Mm. And he paid for it. Like he suffered. He became like really ill afterwards. And he's like, this is God punishing me because I am supposed to be giving this gift away for free for the betterment of people and not for um, self gain Aww. or anything like that. So he broke off his uh, relationship with Ketchum 
And that is when he moved to Selma, Alabama. Oh. And that is where we're going to end part one. Oh. Oh, he's in Selma. Do you know when that, what year that was? Uh, 1912. Ooh. Mm. Yes. This is a cool story. It is. He's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, And one of the things when Kenneth was was telling about um, or was introducing, it's like, hey, do you know about this guy? He had an office in Anniston. And so I was like, oh, I did not know that. And so, Baker did. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, let's find the address. Yes. Let's figure out what's going on here. Courtney's on it, which I have not done yet. And I still, again, so much reading and so much. This is freaking awesome. So much research. But um, yeah, part one of Edgar Casey, the grandfather of New Age and the other Nostradamus. Crazy. It sounds a lot more like ominous when you it's like nostradamus yes he predicted some shit that came true maybe i'm thinking of there's a history there's history channel stuff on him there's actually there's actually a documentary too but it was on dvd and i wasn't going to fork over money for a dvd yeah it's a weird world we don't do dvds anymore we don't do that anymore yeah Sorry, keep your information. I maybe could have gotten loaned some cowboys the same way. <laughs> That's what I saw. I was gonna say it was, it was on Amazon maybe DVD. Not, yeah. maybe not. All right, oh, thanks everybody awesome. yeah, for loved it. Loved it. And stay tuned to After Talk. After Talk. We'll talk to y'all later. Bye. Bye. Bye.